Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. People of the world, people of the world, this is the case of the Bingo coming live from where we are today. We are in Long Beach. Well, we were in Long Beach. We just got back to Angeles just in time to feel the earthquake that hit our studio. Oh, my God, the building was swaying, and I was having visions of rescue workers. I said, hey, let me go make sure I look proper, my shoots right, you know, just in case I get dragged out of the rubble. corner, make sure I look good. You probably hear the sirens in the back. That's, our, what, our second earthquake in about three months, something like that. You know, I, I don't believe in three times the charm in this group, so I'm going to give you forewarning and advance warning. If, if the ground shakes again the way it did before, you're gonna, I'll put on some music, and I'll come back 20 minutes later. Oh, my goodness, there was something people was going on. I hope everything's going well. I'm doing fine. Uh, thank you for all your emails of concern uh, regarding this little uh, injury I've been dealing with for a few months. Uh, it's getting a little better, but we shall see like to welcome our uh, producer today, Joella Mbui, who is uh, visiting in here from Texas. She does uh, audio down there at the University of Texas, and she's actually in town for a couple of weeks, and uh, actually listened to the show when she was down there and wanted to come check us out. So she uh, was doing some, infant, uh, doing some uh, research on today's subject, uh, Friends of the Congo, and came with a lot of very interesting information. And it's very interesting that when we first announced this show about uh, Joella, when was this about? She's behind a glass. So if she starts talking, she's mixing also. So um, we announced this show a few weeks ago. We were getting like, I got a lot of emails to my personal email, you know, from about, um, Joella last counted at about 35, 40 people were writing. And it was interesting how a lot of them were saying, we have nothing to do with the organization. Please don't call us out by name. <laughs> you know, we don't really like what they're doing. So, um, you know, we just want to make sure you have, you know, that you uh, don't mention us by name. I started seeing that a lot of don't mention us by name. 
But I got a few people that were writing in saying, hey, you know, they gave their perception, their perspective on Friends of the Congo. And they were like, you know, hey, you know, we agree with what they're doing. We understand what they're doing. And it was just really interesting because I think if you listen to most of the shows I have done, I've never really attacked anybody. And I think, you know, um, a few people were thinking I was going to come on the air like Rush Limbaugh or uh, who's that guy from uh, Fox News? Can't remember his name. Um, who uh, didn't like Ludacris. Can't remember his name. Anyways. And they thought I was going to basically, you know, go off on FOC. And I'm like, why would I do that? We talked about uh, the Enough Project several weeks ago. I think it was like three or four months ago. You know, I know the castle was there. Uh, I think their offshoot now is raised for Congo. And, you know, it, the question was is that for some time enough was in the game. You know, they were doing advocacy. But they started raising their profile a little more and came to Congo. And it just seemed like a lot of people were just unleashing uh, so much venom towards them. I want to go beyond the venom, beyond the rhetoric, beyond the, the clouds of uh, misinformation, and really just talk. Are they friend or foe? And that was the show. It was very well received. I think it was very balanced. And I just said, this is what they do. This is my opinion of what they do. This is what some people's opinions of what they do. And that's basically about it. So, you know, I think maybe the most venomous show we had was when we talked about, uh, not venomous in terms of negativity, I think the most, uh, the show when we did, uh, Joelle, remember? She's nodding her head. Uh, uh, who really speaks for Congo? That one, and I don't even think that one was very, you know, uh, hostile towards anybody. I think it was more of a dislike towards a few people out there speaking for the Congo who aren't Congolese and the folks out there who are speaking for Congo who are Congolese but are speaking for Congo only to benefit themselves, which brings us full circle back to today's topic. Friends of the Congo, are they really? You want to rock? You want to reach into me? Uh, you can call in 646-595-2892. 646-595-2892. You could also chat with us live. On uh, if you're hearing this on the internet, you could actually chat with us live. Hey, Br Airsoft, Bill O'Reilly. Thank you. Hey, Mr. Tran, how are you? We have one of our online listeners here, one of my colleagues. Yes, it was Bill O'Reilly. That was the guy. Uh, they were. Thank you very much. They were thinking I was going to attack Prince of the Congo uh, like there are nobody. So let's get to, let's get to the get down, as uh, our former principal, Mr. A, would say, and talk about Friends of the Congo. Um, first off, for the record, I know Maurice Carney. We've never met personally, but our conversations, have, you know, for me, from my point of view, it's always been the love. He, in fact, when we first did uh, the, uh, the uh, Once Upon a Time in the Congo, we started shooting. Maurice actually wrote me to let me know that uh, he had put a link from the page, once upon a time in the Congo, uh, com onto the Friends of the Congo website. And I was like, all right, cool. I appreciate it. You know, why not? It didn't bother me. And, actually, you know, we had the love. And we actually had a couple of conversations. Uh, middle of last year, I'm not sure. And actually recently, the recent Congo Harlem in New York, uh, they reached out to me. Uh, they were looking for some films to show at a small theater in New York during Congo week. I think that was in October. And they shot me an email saying, you know, hey, Maurice said to reach out to you. You, uh, you might have some, uh, some uh, footage from your Once Upon a Time in the Congo movie that you could show here. And I said, yeah, I know Maurice. You know, much love. And I appreciate it. So why would I want to come on air and slander and dog the guy? Now, that doesn't go to say that I agree with everything that they're doing. And I know a lot of people seem to have a problem with what they're doing. So what we're going to do during this uh, groove we have here of 40 minutes I'm actually going to play some of the interviews they have done, uh, some of the Q&As they have done, and let you hear for yourself. My issue has been 
um, as I get some uh, emails here and people here are blanking out their names. I got a phone call right after I announced I was going to do this show from somebody who said that they were a coordinator with Friends of the Congo. And I wasn't really familiar with this person. I mean, you know, they asked that they, uh, they not even be identified by sex, you know, male or female. And they wrote me personally, gave me a number, you know, we talked back and forth. I don't really talk much by email because I kept sending out an email saying I'm, you know, President Obama's, you know, chief of staff for Congo Affairs. And, you know, the way things go, you would never know. So I uh, contacted the person. I said, you have a phone number. And I called the individual. And I wanted to know, you know, who this person was. They told me where they were located. And I had a good friend of mine who happened to be in the area physically go to where this person was to verify who this person was by literally asking for ID. My friend's a cop. So I said, make sure you're not going to feel like you're about to arrest, to arrest them. We'll be okay. And once we verified who uh, the individual was, uh, the conversation proceeded along the lines of that they were very disenfranchised and they felt disenfranchised by, uh, by FOC, Friends of the Congo, because it seemed like they only deal with people who are in lockstep with what they say. You know, and they brought up the issue how when uh, Christoph, not Christoph, when uh, Enough was talking about conflict minerals and things like that, how, uh, and they were profiled in 60 Minutes, how Friends of the Congo was attacking them. They were allowing all these people to post up these essays on their website and things like that. Now, this person is talking to me like on the phone. We're just talking for about, we talk about a good hour and a half. And for the record, I did send a couple of faxes and a couple of emails to Friends of the Congo for their opinion. You know, if they wanted to come on air and talk about today's show, no one responded back, no one wrote back. So I did put it out there because, you know, I always like to hear both sides of the story. You know, if there, is two, if there is two sides of the story, and there usually is, you know, my point of view and the one that doesn't matter. But in this case, we have to be, we have to be a fair form here. But anyways, and they would bring up the fact they brought up enough. And I was like, you know, you know articulate on that. They were like, you know, it just seems like, uh, I think, what's his name, uh, Kambala, it seems to be said has some kind of vendetta against them or anybody that, that he perceives as the enemy to either the Congo or to FOC. Now, for the record also, I used to uh, spoke to Kambala when he was a student down there in, uh, I think he went to uh, North Carolina, I think in Greensboro. I could be, I could be uh, mistaken, but I know he was in college at that time. And at that time, he had launched the initiative of the, uh, the sellout. And what that meant was, he, I believe he would have his students organized by turning off the phone and leaving a voicemail that, hey, we're turning off our phones in support of Congo and things like that. And I remember we had, done, we had a couple of conversations back and forth uh, about some things, and I thought it was very ironic that a lot of the things I was saying to him back then, he's saying now. So, but I haven't spoken to him since about a year and a half. We had an email exchange some time ago, but again, that's going down a different road. Let's stay on the road at hand. So the caller, when we were talking on the phone, was just basically talking about how they were concerned that an organization that's supposed to be friends of the Congo, most of the leadership on the executive committee isn't Congolese, but yet all the student coordinators are. And on top of that, they actually conferenced me in with another friend who was actually in the same area. So I have my cop friend verify who this person was. Now, this is uh, the uh, caller. This is another coordinator. And I said, well, this is very interesting. What's going on? And they want to make sure that it was understood that um, – you know, Kambala's uh, passion is there. There's no question about that. That his concern is there. And I know his passion is there. I used to speak to him back in the day. Is there. But what they don't like and they're concerned about is that it's his mouth that's kind of causing problems 
for uh, the organization because it's more of he tends to antagonize people if they don't agree with what he is saying. And I say, well, you know, I'm not going to slander the guy or dog the guy. If I, you know, if I have something negative or whatever to say or concern, I'll say it to him. But I want, you know, I said, you know, look, once they validated it from the FOC and I verified it, I want, they said, you know, could you just articulate what we're saying? And now this is what they're saying. I think the thing that comes, that stands out for me with Friends of the Congo, and again, I have love for Maurice, you know, and we always had good conversation. Again, he looked out with the reference, reference to the film uh, in uh, Congo in Harlem, is that it seems to be that elements within the organization have placed themselves at the forefront of this leadership for Congo. I remember those interviews Kambala did, uh, did with the, uh, some uh, paper in the Bay Area where he was talking about it. There two startling things that were very interesting. Three, actually. One was that, and this might have been on their site, actually, how they found it. it may, I might be misappropriating this quote to him. It might have been Maurice or somebody else, hopefully, if I'm pronouncing that name. Well, they said in 2004, these Congolese came to them and asked them to organize uh, a group or uh, organization that would speak on behalf of the Congo. And I found that very interesting because 90, 95% of the Congo act, uh, activists in the D.C. area or surrounding D.C. area, I know them, and I mean personally. So when, I, when that information was brought to me, I called all of them, and they said, no, that's not true. We never approached them. Why do we want to approach them? So that was very interesting because I was wondering what organization came to them, and why would, why would Congolese, particularly with all the advocates of Congolese descent that you have per square mile in D.C., why would they go to somebody else to say, hey, can you get together a group to speak on our behalf? There wasn't a logic in that. On top of that, a second comment that was made, and this was uh, gathered by Joella, and again, Joella, thank you very much for this information, was that they said they're at the, fo the forefront of this, this movement of getting a global movement to advocate for the Congo and things like that. And that was very interesting because I was wondering, um, who made them? Uh, how they're the, they're the forefront of what movement? Uh, the movement that they're, they've been um, um, highlighting now has been a break the silence movement. I think that started about two years ago, two and a half years ago. I could be off again on my date. Joella, can you get that information for me if you can? I appreciate it. And uh, mine, she's back with her latte. <laughs> so, but she's doing what she does. Um, and again, you want to have a question? You want to call in? Either way, um, we have about. 40 minutes left in the show. I was going to do an hour, but I said, you know, I don't know if I can make it that long with my uh, medication here. Um, and I said, well, who, well, who made the lead? The break the silence was basically wearing, raising awareness of what's going on in Congo about the minerals, min, mineral conflict, the invasion of Rwanda and Uganda and things along those lines, which, you know, has really been spoken of for some time. The thing is, I think, as I conveyed to one of my colleagues just the other day, there is no silence of what's going on in Congo. The problem is that there's, people can't understand what's being said about what's going on in the Congo. Because now we talk about the Congo, they're talking about the rapes. But as Mwadi Bukenge articulated on uh, Al, Jazeera, Al Jazeera English, I think it was August 2009 on part two, she goes, yeah, the issue of rape is uh, grossly underreported. They're saying it's 250. But Mwadi Bukenge, she's a, a program court director for Sub-Saharan Africa for Global Fund, women, Global Fund for Women. Uh, check them out, globalfundforwomen.org up in the Bay Area. She said, talking to her people on the ground, they're saying it's actually double that. So we're talking half a million. And why do you articulate that? You, know, you just wait. The rape situation is a crisis. But if you look at the, you know, if you go beyond that and look at the underlying factors, 
then explains to you what's, the, what's going on in Congo. Too many people are making it seem like Congo is some complex issue. You know, different, I understand if you just go by the names or the, the acronyms for these rebel groups or militia groups or what have you, yeah, it could, be, it could be a confusing issue. But if you sit back and say, okay, what happened? This is what happened. 1996, Rwanda invaded Congo under the guise of getting the former Rwandan army that was in eastern Congo because they were launching border attacks and raids into Congo, into Rwanda, I apologize, Okay. Then they realized when the X-Files was not as strong as it used to be because at that time Mobutu was suffering from leukemia. I believe it was can he had cancer. I believe it was cancer. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, maybe one of our calls or email could uh, tell me that because it's been a while. Then they realized, wait a minute, we could actually maybe take power here because for the longest time they've had their eyes on, on Congo since Kagame came to power. All right? So what they did was they got uh, the late Laurent Kabila, they installed him as the head of the AFDL, uh, just a, a rebel movement that was dominated by Rwandan Tutsis, particularly Rwandan soldiers of the RPF, the Army. Anyways, uh, eventually Mobutu fled, died, he died uh, outside the country. Kabila was installed, and around Kabila, his, most of his cabinets was dominated by Rwandan Tutsis. Dominated the army, the bank, everything, Kanada, all these people. All right? Now, what happened was the Congolese people were saying, we have a problem here. And the articulate problem is there's too many Rwandans here. Kabila said sometime in mid-July that all Rwandans need to leave and go back to Rwanda. We're going to do what we need to do for our country. Are you with me now? As we go down the yellow brick road of history here. All right, cool. This is in 1996-97. It, it was not about a week later when he made that announcement that around July 30, 31st, is it 31 days in July? Well, late July that all these Congolese intellectuals, Wamba, Denfoshane, Alunga, all these guys were meeting in Kigali in Rwanda. Why? I'm about to tell you why. Because on August 2nd, another invasion force was launched into Rwanda, and now that they had RCD, RCD Goma. We're talking about Onusumba also was part of this. Now, part of this invasion of the, of the Rwanda force was the Congolese intellectual I just mentioned to you. Ilunga, Depoche, and all these guys, so forth and so on. They invaded the Congo again in 98, wanting to remove Kabila. At the same time, Museveni created the MLC, the, uh, I think it was a movement for the liberation of Congo, and at the head of that was Jean-Pierre Bemba, who was from the Equatorial region. So we had two invasions. Rwanda started occupying the east. Uh, Uganda started occupying the north and northeast. How it became an occupation and not a complete takeover is that other countries, Zimbabwe, Chad, Sudan, Libya, Angola, and what have you, sent their troops to help defend the country. So there was a stalemate between the East and the West. The East, the West was under you know, Congolese control. And as our allies and the remnants of the X-5, now known as the, the Congolese Army, the FAC, that stopped that country from being overrun. This is the, 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 the uh, army that people are slandering now. But there's a reason why. So what happened is that when Kagame realized, and they realized they couldn't take over Congo, they figured they would annex, take Kivu, and make it part of them. If you hear a song that's by uh, my younger brother in Congo called Welcome to the Congo, he talks about how you have to dial a Rwandan area code when you're in Kivu. That money goes to Kagame. That's what happened. Now, eventually, Kabila got shot, and we have what's going on now. But that's basically the whole preset. But somehow it's morphed into, yes, it was, a, it, it, was a, it was a mineral conflict back then, and it's a mineral conflict now. But the funny thing our caller from the FOC talked about, and I found to be true, is that it was weird that when 
other organizations such as Enough or other people talked about Congo being a conflict, you know, being fueled by conflict. Well, there were there were there were essays being posted and people are friends of Congo saying it's not a conflict war. And I find well that's very odd because everybody knows it's a conflict war. It's been proven. I mean, why I think Rwanda is there? But not just for the conflict, they want the land. Because Kagami, you know, Rwanda is like a parking lot. There's so many people packed in. Congo is like, you know, Central Park or Griffith Park. It's a massive area. You can put a lot of people in there. Hello, guest 2070. Thanks for tuning in on the chat. I see you there. So, again, let's get back to the thing here. It was weird that when enough and those people, and I'm not defending enough. What I'm saying is this was going down uh, as, as the statement here. When they were talking about it, when John talked about in 60 Minutes, offense uh, affiliated with FOC were attacking them, saying that's not true. John's in the wrong area. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not a conflict. And this uh, it's not a war about minerals. And there was something that John said uh, during, and for the record, I know him. And I've had my conversations about Congo. So people will say, oh, he knows him. Like, oh, no, when I, if you ever meet, when I met him, I wanted to know what was his position on Congo. He knows that. Everybody knows that. All right. And he gave it to me. We had a conversation. So what have you. Listen, when he said during the interview on 60 Minutes that when the price of minerals such as gold and what have you, coal, tender, probably cell phones, stuff like that, goes up, the killing goes up. When he made that comment, elements of the FOC attacked him, saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not true. But it is true. Because if you remember back in the day when um, the Xbox and PlayStations around Christmas ran out, the reason why there was, a, there was a shortage of those is that so many Congolese were being murdered and slaughtered by the Rwandans, um, rebels, and the people they supported, were being murdered. There wasn't enough Congolese to dig up these minerals. If you go back and look at the archives of my announcement, that's why there was a shortage of PlayStation. There was an Xbox and these other minerals that, that, used, that were being used. Congolese being wiped out. Everybody knows that as the price of as tin is going up now, the killing is going up again. As the price of gold was going up, the killing was going up. And the sad thing about it is that everybody knew there was an agenda behind that statement when FOC said uh, enough doesn't know what they're talking about. Now, Juela here brought up something to my attention some time ago. She brought a Facebook post that was put on, ironically, a good friend of mine uh, from another organization. It was talking about Christoph, uh, I believe he's a journalist with the New York Times. But let's come back and talk to him after our first break, and we'll link this all together. Let's give it a little love here. If we can go to uh, and let me show you how you advocate for Africa when you need to advocate for Africa. Let's see if I can find something here for you. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? No, that's too long. We'll be here for like three days. So bear with me. Here we go. If there's going to be peace, you need to free your mind, Africa. Um, we're going to end this portion on the note of freedom. Ten years democracy and on the note of freedom. Free yourself from those mental chains that say you don't come from that dark continent. 
wanting no one on the continent darker than you. Realize you've been brainwashed by wicked white men, but your oppression has also been perpetrated by your own brethren. I know that the raising, castrations, and lynchings are grueling, but the castration of the mind has more longevity than a lynching. You're wrenching further and further away from your motherland. You let them tell you that your slave inspired slang was ebonic and not a rich African language of English words, and so you were afraid to speak to her. You believed them when they told you your continent was dark, however, you didn't realize it's because they were trying to steal our sunlight for centuries. From whitening the ancient Egyptians to whitening Beethoven to whitening Michael Jackson, you've been brainwashed. From slave codes to black codes to Jim Crow, you've been brainwashed. From K1 to Cum Laude, you've been brainwashed. You want to be American, so America has decided she no longer needs you. Well, it's higher confident, please be a thumb home. So for your African mind, we will snatch the press under that process. We will tip from those tight jeans that only attract negative attention and suffocate your natural my body. Free those brown luscious lips from ravishing the red lipstick. Brothers, free your fitness from sipping 40 to sip fresh water from the Nile Basin. Free yourself from feeling you have to step all over your lady and step up via Montilla Manjaro. Free your mind and stop trying to be willing to walk forward in our fight for liberation. To deny that you're African is to deny your place on earth as the first. What I claim to be a nigga and kill over street corners when you can claim ancient Nubia. Why claim a country when you can have a continent? I speak to all of you in denial from African Americans to West Indians to even continental Africans. Malcolm and Marcus and Marley died trying to free your mind. Accepting your African blood turns you into a worldwide majority and not a national minority. It's just your history much farther than Mississippi. It explains why you're as beautiful as you are, why you worship black like no woman, and why you can never be defeated while standing on the shoulders of God and your ancestors. All of you rise! You ghetto prisoners who are really Ghanaian princes rise! You proud to be bitches who are really Burundian princesses rise! You who think being born on the continent is enough to make you African rise! Don't you Latinos rise! Don't you Cambodians rise! Westernized West Indians rise! Egocentric Euro African rise! And we just ask for Asians rise! Almost annihilated Australian Aborigines rise! What? What? <laughs> That's my, that's actually my younger brother, Ome Congo. Uh, you can go check out omekongo.com, O-M-E-K-O-N-G-O. That was a live uh, spoken word he did in South Africa. And it's called uh, Free Your Mind. Yeah, that's, and I had, it actually goes longer. His poems aren't short. They're not roses of red, violets of blue. But I play, you know, that's, you know, back to my commercial break here. I play that clip because you hear the reaction of the people. He's talking to the people. He's not talking down to the people. He's not talking at the people. He's speaking with the people, speaking to the passions of the people. And I think that's what's kind of missing right now when you look at the Break the Silence movement. And I've had this conversation with several people, including my friend, you know, our friend now who's who's a coordinator with FOC. What's missing is the passion because they said they were the, the leader of the movement and they were found in 2004, all right? And I remember that was very interesting because since 2004, we've lost 45,000 Congolese have been dying a month in Congo. 45,000 a month as a result of this invasion by Rwanda and Uganda. We can talk about the multinationals later on. All right, these are Africans doing it. 
45000 a month, if you do it in one year, that's 540,000 Congolese that were murdered, dead, and gone. They're not coming back. Well, under this leadership of FOC since 2004, 240,000 Congolese have died in Eastern Congo. So they're the leader of the movement. They've been around that since 2004. And look at that leadership of the movement has gotten us. 3,240,000 Congolese dead. It's not to say they're responsible, but there comes to a point, as all of advocates do, we need to sit back and see what are we doing that's working and what are we doing that's not working. And for me, I just find it very interesting that I remember I saw, uh, this comes out to Christoph, when he had posted something on a friend of mine's Facebook uh, in reference to raising awareness. And I reached out to Christoph, spoke to him, he said, yeah, I just wanted to do this article to raise awareness. And ironically, it was someone from the Congo attacked this guy saying, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about, look at his history, he's part of the CIA, all this stuff. It, it was really interesting. So I said, you know what? I spoke to Chris, and I was like, what's the situation? He's like, I want to do this to motivate, you know, a political thought, some kind of action to raise awareness. And ironically, the following post, and a few of my, a few of my friends saw this because they wrote me. The following post was, was someone from FOT was talking about, you know, obviously you Africans or the Africans, or obviously you guys don't read these books and don't know what's going on. And the gist of that post was saying that, and it was along the lines of, if you read these books, if the Congolese would read these books, these things wouldn't happen to them. Wouldn't happen to the Congolese. I'm not joking. And the person, if you're listening to right now, you know exactly what post I'm talking about. Because Joella printed out and brought it to me. Because I had told you wasn't even aware of it. Because I was off Facebook for a good while. Now, I thought that's very interesting to basically say the Congolese, because we're so ignorant, had it coming. And because we don't read these books, like we don't know nothing, that's why we're in this lot that we're in right now. I thought that was a very ignorant statement to make. And my, that was just my opinion. And that was very hurtful. But then it, went, it continued because, again, Joella was doing some research and sent me a video clip of Maurice speaking at some event. I think some friends from Global Action were there and stuff like that. And he was talking about, and he put this post up again somewhere else. And they opened up by when the Congolese start doing this, when the Congolese start doing that. Like we're just laying around being murdered and being How is somebody, particularly a non-Congolese, going to talk about what the Congolese need to do when the Congolese start doing this, and then go extra and say, we don't agree with the militarization. We don't agree there should be a military solution to what's happening in Congo. I think as Kambala had once articulated, he feels that, and he's a spokesperson for FOC, so this is, uh, he's speaking for them, I guess, of saying that all the players need to come to the table. The Americans, the British, the Ugandans, the Rwandans, and the militias they support, and the rebels they support. He said this, go find uh, English Al Jazeera, August 9th, is told to begin the interviews, part two, when he says this. Well, the thing that with Rwanda is that every time Rwanda seems to come to the table, they come at gunpoint and force everybody at the table to the floor. Then they go around going through their pockets, take all the minerals, and say, oh, by the way, we're looking for some FDLR that committed the, 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 the genocide in 1994. Why? We already tried to negotiate with Rwanda in 96. Look what that got us. We tried to negotiate with Rwanda in 98. Lusaka, Ethiopia, Sun City, of course. Look what that got us. We tried to negotiate them when they tried to do the first invasion, the, the first joint military offensive against the FDLR. This would be the same FDLR that Rwanda's army was in business with since 96 in Eastern Congo. And everybody knows. Why are we going to invite Rwanda to the table to negotiate anything? The only thing they recognize is a gun and military strength. 
a strong Congolese army will prevent most of this nonsense. Now, people will say, well, you know, it's Congo and Africa are so militarized. Yeah, we know that. But maybe people seem to forget. My memory might be a little hazy, hazy here, Cassie, but when Kabila the son came to power, he dropped 12,000 Congolese soldiers on the border of Rwanda. Do you know what Rwanda did? They sent the ambassadors to mobilize half their military to the border of Congo. They only recognize force. If you try to negotiate, maybe you should study some history. Look at Vietnam, the war, the South against the North. When the peace deal was struck, the peace deal that, that was leading to the conclusion of the war, it allowed the Viet Cong to remain in their rebel positions in South Vietnam. When the Americans were forced to pull out because of the situation in Washington, D.C., Hanoi came rolling right down the highway and took over and linked up with their, rebel, with their, with their Viet Cong soldiers in South Vietnam. The South Vietnamese did not like that peace deal. They went, we, they got, can't you get your mind? They got to leave the country. So why are we going to negotiate years later in the same scenario with the folks that invaded us in 96, invaded us in 98, won't leave, rape, murder, and pillage, supporting Kunda, now that they're un Kunda's under house arrest in Rwanda, won't hand them over back to Congo, but yet Rwanda has no problem that if there's a, a former Interhamwe living in Siberia, we want him back in Kigali or we want him back in Yerusha. There is a military solution, and only a military solution, if the only solution that's understood is military. A strong Congolese army, this will be the same army that was defending Javier Amana against Kagame when he first invaded in, nine, in 1990, the first time we were in that country, training most of the army around Congo. All right, let's get it right. Now, people will say, the, you know, the military army is, uh, you know, the army is all corrupt and they're raping child soldiers. You know, they're raping people, stuff like that. Kind of interesting that this happened after the mixage where they forced the rebels into the Congolese army. They're the ones doing most of the rape. Not saying there's not no bad elements in the Congolese army, but why are we slandering the Congolese army? Now, that goes to the point of this militarization that they keep talking about, the FOC, that we do not support militarization. Well, who was we? Because people saying that they're not Congolese. Well, Kambala said it, but he's a spokesperson. Who was we? Because you talk to nine, time, nine out of ten Congolese, they're going to say, yeah, strong army, strong country, no invasion. Okay. Now, I found a very interesting statement that was made, again, coming back again, in reference to an interview that the spokesperson did in the Bay Area. when he was, Because it seems like FOC is trying to find a message of what's going to rest. First, it was Congolese being murdered. Now, it's black people being murdered in Congo. Well, the people that's going to look at it are going to say, okay, black people being murdered. But there's other black people killing them. And we have black-on-black -black crime in the United States, so why should we care about over there? But I remember he made a statement about, and you can see this is online. It's nothing, no secret about it. I'm not saying anything. He said, this is uh, Kambala. And again, his passion is there. there. But he made a statement to the brothers in Oakland saying that black people are undervalued all over the world. Now, that's very interesting because I don't seem to feel like I'm undervalued. I don't know many people that feel undervalued. Are they talking, is he talking about they're not valued by anybody else or black people undervaluing themselves? So there's a big difference. The situation in Congo is going to be done, it's going to be resolved by Congolese. And I'm actually going to do a part two to the show later on tonight, about six, about eight o'clock my time, due to the announcement, because I'm getting a lot of emails here and people asking, can we continue the show later on tonight because we have some questions. Guest 2070, I see you come on board. And it's the Congolese situation, the Congolese is going to resolve this. But yet FOC is, is admonishing Obama, Hillary Clinton, and all those folks that it's the West that's going to have to put pressure on Rwanda. 
It's the West that's going to put pressure on, on Uganda. It's the West that has to do this. It's the West that has to do that. Well, let me tell you about a little episode in Crisis on Infinite Earth. It's a, it's a series from DC Comics that's about the uh, Justice League, Superman, stuff like that. And you're probably wondering, well, how does that fit into anything? I'm about to tell you because there's something else, as Prince said in his song, uh, Let's Go Crazy. There's a scene in there where in an alter reality, a guy named Ultraman, the alternate reality version of Superman, is coming onto the scene to attack uh, these guys, uh, Superman and this guy named Lex Luthor. Superman is from another alternate Earth. Lex Luthor is from the same Earth as Ultraman. When Ultraman is approaching them, Superman says, I can take these guys. You know, you sure I can take them? Lex Luthor says this. He goes, for this, because he's trying to free Earth of that, of the, of the Justice Society, that's led by Ultraman, because they're like the Asian Mafia. He says, for this to have any meaning, any value, particularly when you're gone, I have to do it. And that's the situation with Congo. For anything to have any value in Congo, it has to be by the Congo, for the Congo, and just about the Congo. The Americans do it. The West does it. But it seems like when it comes to Congo, we always seem to have to put our destiny in other people's hands. And these are the same people who are funding and supporting the very people that are slaughtering us. So if some person is raping my wife, I'm not married. I'm just giving you an example. The only negotiation I'm doing with him is at the end of a 9 millimeter, a bat, a frying pan or something because I'm going to try to murder this guy. Why am I, there is no negotiation. He's attacking my loved one. Now, the thing is, Governor Dukakis, when he ran for office, made the same mistake. I'm against the death penalty. I'm against the death penalty. Then someone said, well, if someone's raping your wife, are you against it? Then he goes, yeah, I'm still against the death penalty. That's Funk's election campaign right there. Now, I come back to this because it seems like, again, this is a duality of a statement that, and this, I'm getting a lot of information here from Joel and other people, and I'm combining all together, and it says this. There seems to be a statement by the Friends of the Congo, and I have love because their passion is there for what they want to do, but I think the, 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 the paradigm shift needs to be shifted in reference to how they articulate this flow, because you can't come out and say the Congolese, when they start doing this, or when the Congolese start doing that. Are they talking about Franklin Katunda from Congo, Boston? Are they talking about some edu, edu Congo.org? Are they talking about Noella Kassura from um, uh, George Maleka Foundation? Are they talking about uh, uh, Kami Mukendi who's doing love talk? Talking about Serge Senga from Dignity for, for Congo? Are they talking about Solange Hepburn and, and uh, get down there in Miami who's doing Shotoa Foundation? Are they talking about Ome Congo who's going the world talking about, uh, talking about Congo? He's actually uh, touring with Ray's Hope right now. Is he talking about those people? Is he talking about Leisure Belayda that's building a hospital in, in, in the Kasai region and have they having fundraising for the last couple of years? Are they talking about the Kemi Mutomo who built a hospital in, in, in Kinshasa? Are they talking about those kind of people who need to start doing things for Congo? But who are they talking about when the colonies do what? Because it gives the impression we're sitting around doing nothing. And I think that's a big mistake. Because what's going to happen is that other people will pick this up, like Ben Affleck. Because Ben Affleck wouldn't have dared try to start a Congo initiative if he was under the impression colonies are already doing stuff for, himself, for themselves. But because they're listening to these people, this is the same Ben Affleck who supported Nkunda, and this is the same Nkunda who elements of the FOC supported years ago. These folks aren't approaching the Congolese and saying, what do you need us to do? They're trying to tell us what we need to do. Do you understand? No. The Congolese have been fighting for this country long before, long before 2000, long before 1994, going before the Conference du National 92. There are people like Constituency for Africa, Mel Foot's organization, they decided to get together and say they want to build bridges with Africa. Well, they were there advocating for NEPAD. Look what happened to NEPAD. It got shut down three months ago. So where was Constituency for Africa? They haven't said nothing. All these people, you know, who's really, who's really looting Congo? Is it just the multinationals? Is it just them? 
Or is it all these advocates who are running around speaking for Congo, selling T-shirts for Congo, selling, you know, cups for Congo and stuff like that? How is it benefiting these women back home that are getting raped? How is it benefiting these child soldiers that are being demobilized? How is it benefiting these refugees who are being moved from country to country? How is it benefiting them? You know, wheeling Lumumba's son around, you know, that might be impressive to some people in the United States, but we knew Lumumba's son since, since I was born. You know, Julian, we know the whole family. So when Guy came here, he was like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, hey, what's up? Man, I can't see you today, but give love to Julian and the family. FOC's passion is in the right place. So when I look at the information that's been sent to me and has been gathered to me by email and phone calls and a lot of other people, it just seems like the agenda is we know what's best for the Congolese, and we have to follow that road. But again, they've been in, they're the leadership of this movement since 2004. What did it get us? 3.2 million Congolese killed. The silence has already been broken, but I like the fact that they're going around trying to get more people to be made aware. But if our movements are having any effect, Ben Affleck should go to the Congolese and say, what can I do? Instead, he's making grants to a country that's one of the richest on the planet. That makes some kind of sense. $7 million alone leaves every month from Kassai. So people, listen. We're going to do a part two of this show later on tonight. So I'm getting a couple of emails here. People, hey, saying, hey, can you continue on? We want to you know, get some questions in. We'll do it later on tonight, maybe about 8 o'clock, maybe about 7 o'clock my time. I have a show about Leisure Balayla tonight about we're on the street. Maybe I'll do that show tomorrow. So listen, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to find out if FOC, Friends of Congo, are they really Friends of Congo, or are there elements within Friends of Congo who are using Congo to elevate themselves? Because it's very interesting who they will speak with and who they won't speak with. Because I know some advocates in Congo who are laying it, who, some advocates in D.C. where they're based at, who've been speaking for Congo for like, you know, 20-something years. FOC never reaches out to them. They don't let them be on a panel. They don't talk to them. Now, again, come back again. I have love for Maurice. We used to speak all the time. My Congo flick was posting on his link. He gave me love by recommending me to these people doing Congo week. But at the same time, there has to be a Congo-led initiative. There has to be a Congo-led paradigm of which is the Congo is going to bring peace. And we're going to talk about this in the next show. We have three minutes left here. All right? This is Easter Sunday. So, people, I want to say thank you for tuning in. Guest 2070, thank you for showing, you know, showing the love. BR Airsoft, Mr. Tran, I appreciate you tuning in. All you guys out there listening in, I hope you enjoy. You know, come with the phone calls. We're going to come back on the air in about, we'll say about an hour and a half. You'll see it probably on my Facebook. Check me out on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Sai Dabinga. And let me know what you think. You know, again, we have a lot to talk about. We couldn't do it today. And a few of us are very worried about the earthquake. But again, the FOC, are they really friends of the Congo? Are they listening to the Congo or are they just listening to Congolese who agree with what they're saying? I, if someone disagrees with what I'm saying, you know, I have no problem with that. But if they're acting as though they're, that what they're saying is the only way, be all, end all, and the, the just of all, that's going to bring peace to my country, I, don't, you know, I, I have a problem with that because Obama's administration is full of people he doesn't get along with, but it's for the greater good of his administration, which is the greater good of the United States. I work with anybody that has love for the Congo and has passion for the Congo. If, if, uh, if, if, that, but if their passion is at the expense of a Congo with no army and a bunch of folks you know, raising cassava plants and we have to start reading books to learn why we're suffering the way we are, I have a problem with that. And a lot of Congolese have a problem with that. And that's what a lot of these emails seem to articulate it to me. So people, we have two minutes left. It's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter to everybody. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a little spiritual song here. Take us off the air. Uh, leave it up for a little while. I want you to dig it. Enjoy it. It's from uh, the movie Cadence. It's a live performance by this guy named uh, 
Harry Stewart. No one seems to know where he is this day. And the name of the song is Journey, uh, End of Journey. All right? If I can find this quick, we don't have much time left. So let's see if I can get that together. Juela, do you have that link with you? Here we go. People, talk to you later. I got it. people talk to you later end of my journey we'll come back with that song that song is dedicated to all the Congolese out there who are going to see this journey to the end I'm out sorry to bring you Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.